Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Integration Chronicles, the only podcast focused on ecosystem integration brought to you by Clio. We're your host, Tushar Patel. And I'm Frank Kenny. Ecosystem integration is the modern innovative way to extend and augment B2B integration. It takes a process-centric approach to orchestrate, connect, and integrate the core revenue-generating interactions and operational services. Partners, shippers, carriers, enterprise applications, and e-commerce marketplaces can leverage API, EDI, and file-based integrations on the same ecosystem integration platform, all with the necessary governance and control optimized to support mission-critical interactions in real, just-in-time, and batch cycles. Every couple of weeks, we will dig into relevant topics with industry leaders and integration experts with a specific tilt towards the supply chain. You'll learn how to grow your business faster, pick up best practices for scaling your organization, and discover new ways to drive operational efficiencies. Follow us to get up-to-date alerts when new episodes are available. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Integration Chronicles. My name is Tushar Patel. I am the CEO here at Clio, and I've got a fantastic guest here today, Mr. Jim McCullen, CIO of Century Supply Chains and Sync. Jim, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Tushar? It's, uh, it's, right. it's good to be here. Great. Yo, happy new year, by the way. Thank you. Same to you. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, you know, um, when I look at your business, Jim, and I look at some of the things you've done at Century Distribution Systems, you guys go by CDS. What is a what is an appropriate way to address the organization? Just call it Century. Century. Perfect. I want to make sure that you know, as as a marketing guy, I got to make sure I get the brand right for for <laughs> Thank for, you. for our folks here. Um, so at Century, I know you've been there for a while. Um, what I'd love to do is just get into a little bit about your background and what you do. And so if you could maybe start for our listeners, just walking us through uh, a little bit about your role and a little bit about what you do and a little bit about Century. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll start with Century. Uh, so we're a global logistics provider. We've been around for over 50 years. Um, we've got uh, over a thousand employees across 70 countries in the world. And um, our job is, is managing supply chains for you know, some of the largest retailers, uh, manufacturers, importers in the world. So, you know, the product you're buying every day, there's a good chance Century was involved in, in getting it uh, to the shelf. And so um, our focus as a, as a business is, is managing customers' international supply chains, making sure that we get the right freight on the right transport at the right time to the right destination. And um, a lot of that marries in and critical tech in our, our VMS platform. And uh, I'll explain a bit more about that in a while, but um, in being able to give our customers the visibility and control of their supply chains um, with all of that information. So, so that's Century in a really quick nutshell. Uh, from my side, I'm a CIO at Century. I've been uh, with the company for just over 30 years. So I started really, really young. Um, as the only IT person at the company. And uh, over the years, we've built up teams uh, in North America, in Asia that, uh, that support and manage all of the systems. And then when I'm not uh, um, working on supply chains or technologies, I'm usually out riding my mountain bike somewhere here in Virginia, so. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned mountain biking. I actually, uh, sidebar here, I, I went to Bend, Oregon this past summer, which is like a huge place mm -hmm. for mountain biking. And man, it is fun. 
it is a lot of fun. So uh, kudos to you for, uh, for taking that on. Cause a lot of folks will take a look at mountain biking and look at that and say, Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a lot of work. No, thank you. But uh, kudos to you. Cause I think I was sore for days and I think I just did, you know, 30 minutes or a 40 minute ride. Um, Jim, you mentioned something that I thought really interesting because we talk about this a lot at Clio and, and, and we hear about this concept of visibility and the concept of control. And you mentioned VMS, which if I remember right, I'm looking at my notes here, visibility monitoring system. Uh, management system. Management system. Management. Okay, visibility management system. So when you think about VMS and you think about that, is that a solution? Is that a product? Is that an offering that, that Century provides? And can you talk a little bit about more that what that means and also tie in some of that control conversation, because I'm very curious about that. Sure, sure. So, so VMS is a, is a supply chain ecosystem that we provide a platform um, for all of the players in our customers' supply chain. So when you think about moving freight from you know, Asia to the US or North America, Europe inbound, um, there's a lot of players and steps involved in that process. And so, so VMS is that hub for the vendors, the origin operations teams, the transport providers, the customers, buyers, and logistics teams to be able to all come together and, and understand what's happening in the supply chain and execute um, against what's happening in the supply chain. And so when you think about the control side of it today, it's, it's really all about the data, right? And being able to, to quickly integrate and, and bring multiple sources of data together from all of these different providers so that they can you know, have the information they need to make the best decisions. And ideally in a perfect world, you know, your supply chain is running very smooth and very efficiently. Today, unfortunately, that is not the case. As everybody knows, and it's in the last, you know, year, year and a half, um, if in the past, when I'd meet somebody and say, I work in logistics or supply chain, they'd just look at me and kind of move on. No idea. Today, they want to know everything about what I do in logistics and supply chain, because it's all over the newspapers. It's all over the media, right? Um, and that's all about capacity constraints because of the huge demand for product and the challenges you know, around stop, stoppages and things like that related to COVID and everything else. So today it is, it is so much more important to have you know, that control, to have the players out there like Century to be able to, to make sure things are flowing properly and, and getting all that data together because supply chains are breaking down constantly and you need to understand where your freight is and what you can do to recover from all of these situations that are taking place. I love it. And, and, you know, the way you describe it, the, the immediate words that comes to my mind is uh, agility and having the agility to make better business decisions, whether that means you have to have a plan B, whether that means you have to pick up the phone and call a customer or call a vendor or call a supplier, whatever you need to do. Um, it sounds like VMS enables organizations to have um, not just that control, but the, but the agility element as well. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly um, because, you, you know, supply chains are, 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 like you said, they need to be very agile and adaptive right now because um, things are constantly changing, including um, how buyers or customers want to get their product. Right. And so um, so retailers, you know, e-commerce companies, all of these different players are having to quickly adapt and adjust. So having that technology, um, that platform tightly integrated with physical services gives our customers that flexibility. Um, and you know, the key point, you know, and, and on the, the Clio side of it, the key point is really having that, that ease um, of use of being able to 
to build these integrations very, very quickly uh, and trust that they're going to work every time and have the tools that we need to understand exactly what's happening with the data. The data is just as important as the cargo today because you know, if I don't have the data and I, I can't provide that, then the customer may not be able to receive the product into their distribution center you know, or distribute it out to their stores. So the data becomes just as critical as the physical product. Love it. Love it. I think in, in your spot on, right? I think, you know, you, you see a lot of these um, memes out there, a, a lot of these uh, one-liners that are dropped, you know, data is the new currency, uh, you know, information is the new currency. And I think you, I, I, I feel like, you know, a year or two ago when people would say that they, again, like us, when, when, when I talk about what we do here at Clio, people weren't really interested. Now they're like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you're involved in supply chains and, and helping optimize, you know, operations. Like, yes, we are. So um, it's, it's, you can't turn on the news. You can't go to any digital device nowadays without supply chain being discussed. So, um, you know, knowing that, you know, organizations like yourselves, you know, Century is in the middle of that, helping, helping solve that problem is, is fantastic kind of behind the scenes. But one thing that I know, you know, all of us are dealing with, especially with, with organizations that touch supply chains is scalability, scaling of the business. And I know you have seen an experience with your organization, your customers, significant growth, and you guys are continuing to ramp for more. Let's talk a little bit about scalability and how you're managing to scale your business as you head into 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think businesses all around are facing that, that same challenge, right? I think a lot of it um, is around, and I hate to use the word digitization because it's so overused already, right? But but it's it's really this concept of going across your organization and looking at, at every work process to figure out how can you optimize it? How can you streamline it? How can you reduce the work, the physical work that has to be done and, and automate that, right? And in some cases, it's, it's automation through integrations, right? Being able to tie different systems together so that people don't have to go to multiple places to find that data. Um, in other cases, it's technologies like RPA, right? There's still a lot of opportunity for robotic process automation where you can, you know, stop a user from having to go through the same steps over and over um, with a website, right? Ideally, you'd love to have everything integrated in the back end. It's just not a reality. And so, but, you know, understanding where to apply these technologies is, is, is the real critical piece. You know, as you're trying to, 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 to support this scale and this growth, you need to really look across the organization and understand, okay, how can we bucket this manual work that we're doing? And, and what's the best way to solve for that? Is it RPA? Is it you know, direct integrations between applications? Does the work need to be done at all? Is the work being done in the right place, right? Those are all important questions. And as we look at the shortage of staff uh, and human resources around the world right now, it's also critically important as organizations that, that we look to take out that redundant, manual, repetitive type work um, because that's not what people want to be doing, right? And so we, we, we need to figure out from a technology perspective, how do we solve for those things, keep our people working on the stuff that's exciting, that adds real direct value to our customer, whoever that may be, right? So, so I think that's the biggest focus from a scale perspective is, is seeking out those opportunities to use technology and to really you know, make a difference with it as opposed to just kind of incremental change with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And I think it, it's interesting that you say some of these things because we were reflecting on 2021 earlier this year with the, with the Clio management team. And one of the things we, we talked about was 
this concept of, of manual effort. And if, if, if COVID has done anything for the businesses that we work with, right, we deal with manufacturers, logistics organizations, and, and anybody who touches a supply chain, um, our organizations that we work with. And I would say, you know, and I'm making up a number here, but just from what I've seen, I'd say almost 50% of the conversations we have, there is some type of manual process, some redundant process that organizations are trying to automate. And historically, we were okay throwing bodies at the problem. We were okay mm. at, you know, collaborating in a face-to-face environment. And, and as some of those things have become, um, you know, less accessible, we have to go automate in order to scale right. our business. And, and so it's interesting that, you know, some of the same things that you're seeing are the same things that we're seeing over here. And so as you, as you think about looking at, um, you know, automation, and you look at, you know, finding opportunities for, for scale. Um, what are some of the areas that you have found most important for your business? Something that, you know, you can, you can share, obviously, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal any competitive secrets that you may have, because I know, I, I know you guys have, uh, have a, a, a growing uh, market opportunity, but what are some of the areas that, that are most important to you right now? Like what is top of mind for you when you think about scaling the business? Yeah, so I think it's um, it's first really trying to simplify the business as much as possible. You know, I think in years past it was it was all about customization and in you know constant adaptations, right? And so I'm seeing a lot of different businesses try to pull back on that and, and really simplify it. You know, yes, I can complete a I can create a very complex relationship with you um, that we can interact through, but that's challenging for you and it's challenging for me, right? Because you need to understand all these different things that I do for you that's different than anybody else and, and I need to deliver it, right? So if I can pull back on that and really simplify it, um, it, it reduces in essence your exposure to me as a provider because it is more standardized and, and simplified, right? So I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and then as we scale and use more and more automation, and yet you made a great point before where you were talking about, you know, in this virtual world that we're in right now, in a lot of cases, we've had to stop doing these manual things that were okay to do before, like writing checks or signing checks and things like that, that, you know, we just can't do. And so, so that's driven a lot of this automation, but we have to make sure we have the right control points in place. So, you know, like to, to bring up a good Clio example, the Clio cockpit, right? Like I need to be able to see what's happening with all of these different automations, you know, whether they're business integrations or RPA processes, I've got to, you know, as a, as a business, ma- and that's really a critical part, right? In the past, it was just IT managing all of this. So the, the important thing is really being able to understand all of these automations and things that you've built and monitor them, right? And so like in Clio Cockpit, we can do that and see what's happening with the integrations and somebody new can come in and look at that. And even from a business perspective, business users that are now kind of owning these automated processes can see that through these technologies, right? So you've got to be able to expose the, the reporting and the control points to the business because now this business person isn't managing a, a person doing this job. They're managing a process doing this job. You know, absolutely. And I mean, you, what you, you know, you could probably see my face light up here on the video. Yeah, it's so interesting. One of the things that we've noticed time and time again with all the customers that we work with and all the different um, organizations that we, we touch is the a common theme is not just empowering IT, 
but empowering the business. And if you empower the business, you're not just scaling the IT organization, which you're always going to have to do, right? We're always going to be asked to do more with the same or more with less, depending on your business. But we're now able to do more by leveraging our adjacent partners in our business. So folks who used to be just considered stakeholders or partners Mm -hmm. or even internal customers are now becoming partners. And, and, and we're, enable, we're, we're, we're leveraging new technologies to make them partners. And that's, again, another way that we can scale. I'll share a great story with you. I was talking to a customer the other day. And one of the things that they did was they empowered their sales team to actually have visibility into some of these business processes that they were running. Because oftentimes, IT would get the request when something went wrong, right? And mm-hmm. so this was a wholesaler who was getting orders from, from, from retailers. Right. And what they learned is about 90% of the issues were actually because the retailers were sending in orders in an incorrect format that the systems weren't designed for. And so the orders would never make it back into an ERP. The orders would never make it into um, you know, an operations team to be able to fulfill an order. Right. And Every single time it was getting escalated to somebody in IT and they didn't have the visibility. They didn't have the control to see what was going on. And so they had to go and, and, you know, go, go look for a needle in a haystack. Once they realized that if I can provide a visibility layer, number one, but then also provide a visibility layer, not just to the IT team, but to the sales team, the number of tickets that they had coming into IT went down by almost half because the sales team was able to see that this is an error from the customer. Let me go deal with the customer directly and not go involve my IT team. And that's opened up areas for the IT organization to uh, work on other strategic projects or spend their time on other initiatives. And yet again, that's another conversation around optimizing your team or scaling your team. Without adding more people, they're able to do more because they've taken some of the, the manual redundant part of their job and they've been able to automate it. They've been able to empower other people to, to help with it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, take that, you know, to just expand on that a little bit more, because we went through that same experience in how we used to manage it and then how we manage it now with Clio. And, you know, it was the same thing. So, you know, our customer facing people would have to submit a help desk ticket. Right. So there's effort there. And now our our IT person has to look at that help desk ticket and, you know, figure out, okay, what do I need to go look at? What are they asking for? Whereas now they can just go in and see for themselves the customer facing teams oh, here it is. I can see you sent me this purchase order on the 15th, but then you revised it on the 17th. And that's why the order quantity doesn't match. Didn't have to create a help desk ticket. Didn't have to involve IT. And you're empowering that individual, right? And if we can empower individuals in the organization across the organization, they feel better about the work they're doing, right? If all you can do is submit a ticket and wait for somebody else to do something, you're not feeling really empowered. Right. Yeah. If you can yeah. solve the problem for your customer right there. You know, think about that customer experience level, too. Right. That customer is blaming you for this issue right now. You pull it up on the screen and turn around to the customer like, yeah, you sent that data to us on the 15th. And that's why it's wrong. Right. And yep. Absolutely. So. So, Jim, let me let me ask you a question. It's something that just came into my mind when you talked about empowering team members and empowering your organization to, to, to take that next step and not just be in a waiting queue and waiting for something to happen. Um, how has you know, moving technology to the cloud or adopting cloud technology, how has it had helped that particular effort or, or has it not helped you? 
Yeah, no, it, it really has, you know, and again, I, I come back to um, how we used to maintain things on servers in, you know, file shares. And so, you know, if somebody was doing that same thing, trying to figure out how did we get this PO, they're logging into a network share and trying to find the file that we received on the 15th and then opening it up with some text editor to try to figure out where that data is. You know, now with these cloud services, I'm at, you know, they're able to go through a very simple user interface and search for what they're looking for and bring back the data. So, you know, and at the same time, from a security perspective, it's a lot less technology that we have to maintain and control points that we have to maintain. So in the past, we'd have to give access to all of these different places for this user to answer that question, whereas now they can come through this one cloud service and have it all answered. So yeah, Perfect. huge benefit. I love it. Love it. And I think, I think it totally makes sense in terms of how you're thinking about your business about, you know, just to do a recap on, on scale, you know, find the points, leverage technology where it makes sense, look to automate, look to remove redundant processes or manual processes. And then the last one, which is my favorite is, you know, empowering the team. It's not just empowering IT, but it's also empowering other other folks in, in the adjacent markets, especially the customer facing folks, which which I can understand because those are the folks I deal with all the time, right? As a customer facing team members, and you know, there, there's always so many things being thrown at that team that if you can make it easier for them, you're actually making it easier for for the technology and the kind of back office teams as well. Yeah, perfect. So I'm going to shift gears here on you a little bit because. Um, this was one of the other things that we were talking about this morning. So it's it's great that my conversations this morning, um, I'm able to to take some of those ideas and thoughts and and, and apply them, in, you know, in the afternoon talking talking to you who's who's dealing with it. But security, security in the supply chain. I cannot tell you, Jim, how many times we've had organizations come to us and say, my network just went down because I had some security loop, or I just got hacked and I can't take orders. We had one customer. Um, who, uh, a very, very large food manufacturer and they, uh, their systems got somehow got penetrated and, and got hacked. All of their systems went down and they had to do a all hands on deck just to manually take in orders and manually process orders. And they were doing thousands of orders per day, because this is a very big food brand that you, if I said their name, you would recognize them right away. Like everybody mm. has, has seen their brand in, in any store. It doesn't matter what state you're living. doesn't matter what type of a, you know, is it a, you know, a mom and pop shop or, or not. And it, 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 it crippled their organization for a very, very long time. I want to say for two to three weeks until they were, were comfortable getting their systems back up and running, they were running 24, 24 seven shifts of manual. And this was during COVID. So they had to pull everybody into the office. So there was like tons of health risks that they were trying to manage and mm -hmm. monitor and, and all of the above. And so when I think about security, you know, you can't read a supply chain blog or any publication where, where security in the supply chain doesn't come up. Um, why do you think it's become um, such a prevalent thing? Was, was this always happening but we just didn't talk about it before? Or are you seeing more and more security come up in the supply chain just because supply chain is more and more in the news? Like, is, is more of it happening or is it just more visibility? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily single out supply chain. And I think, you know, you have to remember there's really two terms when they talk about security and supply chain, right? One is 
is the supply chain around like software and the, the attacks that we've seen, right? Where hackers are getting into a, a company that distributes software to other companies and then they're able to spread out through that supply chain, uh, you know, and that's one side of it. The other is, you know, the physical supply chains that we deal with. Um, and certainly, yeah, there, there have been some attacks that have taken out, you know, um, transport providers for an extended period, right? And uh, and brought them offline. Uh, I don't think it's, it's really any, different in the supply chain space than it is in any of the other industries that are out there. Um, I think at times it can definitely be more visible because of these global supply chains and how they impact, you know, so many different people that yeah. to your point, yeah, you know, there's a lot more writing taking place on, on supply chain and logistics in general, but yeah, I think it, you know, it's facing every, every business out there um, to diff differing degrees. Um, and I think, um, you know, it is becoming, you know, certainly it's, it's in the media much more than it, than it ever has been in, in the past. And there's certainly, you know, more attacks taking place, not just in supply chain, but, but across. I think, you know, just like in any other business, it's, it's about trying to reduce risk um, through, you know, through improved security levels and postures. Uh, and and also trying to distribute that risk, right? So that you're not reliant on, say, you know, one carrier or one location where you're moving freight in and out of. Uh, and so, so yeah, trying to to reduce that risk is uh, is is something that I definitely see companies trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah, I used to work for an organization that um, uh, secured mobile devices, and you know, it was all about data protection and, and, you know, securing the data at rest, but also the data and movement that was happening between, you know, people's personal phones that had corporate data on it. So it, it, you're right. It's always been about reducing the risk and uh, it doesn't matter what type of organization you're in. Now, Jim, you, you started, you know, you're, you're, you're a CIO, right? And so this is something, this is like one of the many things that you have to deal with, right? You've probably got help desk and you've got computer systems and, and you know business systems that you're responsible for, all the way to security, and um, as well as strategy, right? As as mm -hmm. as a person in your role, you you also impact the product strategy, and you also impact the organization strategy. Um, so, is there a specific like framework that you've been able to use to help our listeners think about how they should think about security? Do you have any recommendations there, uh, just to be able to take you know going back to your earlier point, taking something very complex. And, and, and overwhelming and, and simplifying it. You know, what, what has been some of the things you've used? Do you have a framework? Do you have a thought process? How, how do you think about security? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, there are standard frameworks out there like NIST and ISO and, uh, and CIS. Um, you know, and I think it, you know, each organization needs to, to, to understand what makes up those frameworks and, and, and try to work towards Kind of depending on where you are in this in your security you know journey, um, kind of start with simpler you know like CIS is a base um, offering of recommended best practices in security and it's a good very good way to start and you know then you can go into more formal certifications around NIST or ISO uh, you know depending on what's required within your organization. I do think it's really valuable to to at least select a framework and work from that framework rather than kind of just reacting or, you know, being like, okay, well, I need firewalls or I need these things, right? Like there's, there's, there needs to be the vision and plan as to where those pieces fit in. And then you need to be able to, to 
constantly be ranking yourself and evaluating yourself to understand or your company to understand you know where you are today and okay where are the the biggest risks that I'm facing and where do I want to focus that attention because you know security is a journey and you're you're constantly working on on enhancing it on keeping up um, and you know so you see so build out this framework ideally uh, you know and work from that framework and, and fit it into your organization. Uh, and then yeah. from there, you really, you know, start to look at the different components of that, right? And around training and all those other things that are critically important. The one other thing that I'd say is, is you know, I think is a really good recommendation is ISACA has some really good um, certifications. And there's a couple of other big companies out there that do that as well. So um, I, I think that's a really good path to go down uh, as a CIO or a you know, security resource within an organization is to go through one of those formal certification processes as an individual, because it really helps you to understand why these, these frameworks are so important, why the hmm. postures are so uh, valuable. You brought up an interesting uh, concept about benchmarking, right? And I always joke with everybody is um, from the minute you're born, you're always benchmarked, right? You know, your, your grades, your, your rank, you know, you know, if you played sports, you know, there's always a winner and a loser. There's, you know, you, your first place, second place, whatever. Um, how often do you think organizations should benchmark themselves when it comes to security? Is that a quarterly thing? Is that an annual thing? How do you think about it in your business? Yeah, you know, I do think it's it's good to um, to go through a formal process on on like a, a longer term basis to kind of say like okay where are we today and where we want where do we want to go that might be like you know once every three years or something where you kind of do that deep dive um, but then I think it you know there's all different various ways that you can measure yourself uh, just to give you an example like Office 365 has a security measure right within its admin features. So, you know, as an admin in Office 365, you can go in and see how you rank right now as compared to other industries in your space, other industries across the board, you know, based on your number of employees. And so there's there's a lot of different tools out there today that, that can help you at least understand, okay, where am I today? And so that's something that, you know, I think you need to be looking at regularly and you just need to have a plan, whether that's monthly or quarterly or annually, that, you know, you're, you're looking at those numbers and evaluating, okay, where are we today? What can we do to improve those numbers? And then again, be realistic of trying to define what presents the most risk to you today and, and work on those. You know, you can't work on it all at the same time. And if you try to, you won't do a very good job in any of it, right? So, so pick your battles and, and try to go after those and keep expanding as much as you can. Perfect. No, that's a, that's a, that's a great, some great recommendations and tidbits there. And I'll have to, I'll have to go back and listen to this conversation and, and, uh, and, and uh, write down some of those points, because I do think there's a lot of, of great nuggets there. And I can tell that you have a tremendous amounts of experience dealing with this, uh, you know, at, at your organization and in, in your role. Um, you know, Jim, we can't be on the Integration Chronicles podcast and not really talk about integration. So uh, I am gonna I am gonna go. So we, we've talked a lot about scaling a business. So we started at the top, talked about something very pertinent, which is you know security in an organization and, and how you think about it as a CIO. I'm gonna shift now to integration, and um, you know integration technology um, again. And I'm very biased because of where I'm coming from, but integration technology plays a big role in strategy of business. Oftentimes it's behind the scenes. You don't get to see it. You don't get to see it, but uh, what's happening in integration plays a big role in our personal lives, right? Imagine your TV is connected to your Netflix or connected to your HBO Go account. Your phone is connected to your email, which is a separate system. So there's a lot of integration that happens in our day-to-day -day lives that we 
oftentimes take for granted and we just expect things to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a CIO and, and, and as you're thinking about scaling your business and you're thinking about, you know, where you're going with your product roadmap and, and your solutions and services that you are offering, what role does integration technology play um, in your overall strategy? Sure. I, you know, I would say there's two really key points to it. So one is, is around onboarding new customers and, and getting new customers. And so Century, um, you know, I feel we're, we're one of the best, if not the best in our space of being able to quickly integrate and onboard customers. And so, you know, you, you would think by today in supply chain, we'd have all these standard interfaces that you, are just plug and play. It is not the case. Every customer that we, we meet with has some unique special way. It could be two customers running SAP or Oracle, but there's still different implementations and the data is looked at differently, right? So that's something we do really, really well is, you know, because we have, and it's, it's a combination of technology and people, right? So you need to have the right tools to be able to integrate quickly but you also need to have the people, the experts that understand the business and the technology and know what questions to ask and know what situations to anticipate. Because otherwise you can end up you know, well down the process and realize, oh no, like we, we missed this and it can really impact it. So you know, from Century's standpoint, it's one of our kind of key um, components is the fact that we can integrate faster than our competitors. Um, and so that's bringing customers on board quickly. And then maintaining customers and building those integrations as we're going through the relationship with the customer. So that could be, you know, upgrading integrations to take advantage of new things. It could be the customer has a new business model that they need to adapt to very quickly, or they're, they're like we've seen in supply chain, their business is just dramatically changed. And so, you know, our tools and our people have to be able to react and really, as opposed to react, almost anticipate what's going to happen so that, that we can be ahead of it and, and, and adjust those integrations. So yeah, um, it's the expertise of the people first, and then it's the tools and technology that they can trust to deliver the integrations. And then most importantly, to operate the integrations. Yeah, no. And, and when you think about um, integration, you, you said a couple of things, right? You said, Somebody could have the same exact system, an SAP, ERP, or or what have you, but the way they they implement it, the data structures they have, the different protocols that they're using, causes tremendous amounts of challenge to be able to just out of the box say, yeah, we can support anything right off the right off the bat. And I think you have to go through that process. You have to have the right technology and the expertise to be able to. To, to meet the demands of the customers to be able to solve that problem there. So what are what are some of the elements of like, you know, elements of an integration strategy that you think uh, organizations often overlook that they they can't they can no longer afford to overlook as they as they head into this. Why well, I'm I'm calling it a post COVID world, but I don't feel like we're in a post COVID world. Yeah. We're going to be in a post COVID world forever here. But what are some of the elements that you feel like people can't overlook? Yeah, I, I think again, you can't overlook the complexity of the integration, right? It's never as simple as it seems. And you know, you you've got all of this marketing hype and everything flying around every day about API first and all of that. I cannot tell you how many, you know, customer or vendors or providers, uh, some that I've partnered with who are API first and they're not API first when you get into it, right? And so um so yeah, there's a lot of hype out there about how simple it is to integrate everything. When you get into the complex business processes, especially with supply chain where everything is so, so different and unique, 
it's really challenging at times. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the things I, I think, you know, we need to constantly watch out for are, it's going to be more complex than, than you think it is, right? Um, and then from improving that process, it's really about coming back and looking at, at those integrations again and figuring out how can we, how can we simplify them, right? So, so in the past, it was, it was almost like, let's get as much data into this feed as we possibly can. Anything we'd ever think of, let's put it in their kitchen sink, right? We really need to pull back away from that and talk about more event-driven, you know, smaller subsets of data. Like what piece of information do you need right now? Let me send you that. And let me send you a bunch of different smaller pieces of data rather than this one massive feed. Because then if I need to change that one small feed, okay, right? If I have to make a change to that massive feed, I've got so much risk and exposure out there. So that would be my one recommendation is really starting to look at, because the tools are so much better today, because we can move it at, at, at higher speed, start to look back at those older integrations, those kitchen sink integrations, and, and see if you can start peeling off some of the really important data into smaller integrations. I love it. That's great. That's really, really practical advice because everybody has, I can't think of a situation that I've come across where, um, you know, folks don't have that kitchen sink integration, some older integrations. Like you said, everyone talks about being API first, but, you know, the reality is it's, um, it may be API first in this instance. It may not be API first in tomorrow's instance. Right. right? So you have to be able to support both, um, you know, EDI flat files and yeah. you know, API Excel and all spreadsheets, you name Excel it. Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we're coming up on time here. You know, you, you've been very generous with your time with me today. So 100% appreciate that. Um, you know, I got, I got two really last questions for you. My, my first question is, you know, as, as, as you've kind of risen from, you know, your, your role here at Century and, and grown up into a CIO role. And again, congratulations for that, because I know that's something that many folks aspire to become. So, so, so kudos to you for that. But what, what specific advice do you have for other technologists that are listening today, or even other leaders, um, you know, that, 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 that has stuck with you, that's really helped you uh, become successful uh, in your organization? So what, what, what advice do you have? Yeah. It, um, so yeah, a couple of different things. I, you know, I think your network is so critically important, your network of people, of friends, of contacts. Um, and I really think today more than ever, it's important to, to be working and building that. And, you know, it's not about, I'm trying to build a network so I can sell something to someone, right? It's, it's trying to build that network to be able to offer help to others, um, but then to be able to reach out when you do need something, right? Because somebody probably has that answer. You just got to figure out, you know, where it is, you know, in which of the circles. And so I do think, um, and, and as I look back over my career, there's, there's so many times, you know, where I, I wish I had spent more time maintaining that network and some of those people um, and, you know, lost touch with folks that I wouldn't have. So, you know, I think I've really recognized that in the recent past, and I'm trying to make a focused effort on doing that. Um, as a CIO, you know, it's, it's challenging, like, as I see our organization growing, there used to be a time where, you know, we could all get together in a room and have a conversation, right? And as the organization grows, trying to figure out how to be able to connect and reach out, but also communicate, you know, with our, with our teams so that everybody understands um, where our common goals are, what we're trying to achieve. 
and that gets harder and harder as you get larger and larger. So, you know, constantly working on that. Um, and then most recently, uh, I, I had a conversation with a, a mentor and um, uh, challenged me with like, you know, how do you stay current? How do you stay up to date on what's happening? And I didn't really have a good answer. You know, I was like, well, yeah, I look at different trade magazines and this and that. And so talked to another folk person who had said they spend an hour and a half a day reading five newspapers every morning. And I was like, wow, that's big. So I committed to myself at the end of the year, I'm going to do 30 minutes a day. So now I get up a half hour earlier and I got a um, Samsung uh, S6 Lite, which I absolutely love. If you're looking for a tablet, go buy it today. Um, and so got a couple of subscriptions for like the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review and a couple others. And so I commit 30 minutes every morning to not just browsing, but you know, finding a few good articles to read. And it's been really helpful. I've used the information almost every day. So I really stress like we're all so busy. We don't have the time and we get so much in our email. We get so much in all of these channels, but it's just like, you know, social media or anything else, right? You're like, you're just flipping through, flipping through, flipping through. Are you getting anything out of it? So my focus is I'm not going to flip through. I'm going to find one or two articles that are really interesting and I'm going to read them. And it's been really valuable to me. So that would be my one recommendation. If you're not doing it already, pick a few valued sources of information, go after them and have that committed window. I'm going to do it for 15 minutes a day, right? 30 minutes a day, whatever, but commit to it. Uh, you know, your, your um, advice hits home because um, I, I do this with my team and I, and I call it five minutes a day. And I say, just spend five minutes a day to invest in yourself. And what, what, what will happen is you'll end up spending more than five mm -hmm. minutes if you pick the right thing to read or the, 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 you know, the, the right uh, category of, of topic that you're, that you're getting into. And um, I laugh when you said, we do the flipping thing, right? And so uh, I do that all the time. So I literally have 17 tabs on my smartphone with articles that I have like, oh, this is a great article. I'm going to open up in a separate tab and I have it left open there and I've yet to go back and read it. So I'm going to try and take your advice and, 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 uh, and just, so, just sorry, just two other quick things on there that I said, yeah, that, um, that are really valuable to me. One yeah. is get pocket, um, which is a, a, an app that you can install on your phone and your, your browsers. And so anytime I see a good article that I want to read, I just can flip it into get pocket and then I can pull up get pocket and I can read through all those articles super valuable tool. And then the other thing I did just at Christmas was um, I set up a new email account. I have lots of different email accounts for different purposes that I feed in. And so I created a, a you know, JJM to read email account. And so anytime I see an article, like if I get something in a newsletter in my email or something, and it's interesting, I'll just flip it to JJM to read. And then now, you know, in that 30 minutes in the morning, I might read that. Or if I've got some other downtime and I want to read it, I can do it. So it's not interrupting me in my day. I've got a really simple way to channel it somewhere so that when I do want to spend that time, focused time reading, I can. Uh, and so that's been really valuable to me. It's great. You know, sometimes uh, the, the simplest little hacks can make such a huge impact, right? Going back to what you even said at the beginning of the call in terms of simplifying things in order to scale big, right? Find the two yep. or three things that you need to find and in your organization that are holes or gaps or areas for improvement and then, and then dig into them. So same thing, you made it super simple. You've created some rules yep. for yourself, whether it's time rules or organization rules. And, and that's allowed you to, to, to pivot. Now, what, what's interesting is that's a great segue into something you've done on your personal side. When you're not mountain biking and you're not reading <laughs> articles, uh, you're writing books, Jim, you're, 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 you're a busy guy. I don't know how you get to all of it, but um, you've recently written a book called control your day. 
talk a little bit about your book and what it's about. And, uh, um, you know, we've got a bunch of listeners here today and, and hopefully we'll get a few to, to download and, and buy your book and read it. Yeah, sure. So, um, and actually it's been around for, um, for 12 years now. Um, oh, wow. and so, I didn't realize uh, that. I just okay. recently converted it to a Udemy course. Um, but yeah, so it's called control your day. You can check it out at controlyourday.net. Uh, and it, it's, it's something that I, I developed years ago um, using uh, the concepts from David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. And that's a book that was written 20 years ago. If you've never read it, I recommend reading it. Um, it it's a, uh, David Allen just does a great job of, of building out a process to get things done. And there's followers all around the world. And so years ago, I wanted to figure out how could I use his best practices with Microsoft Outlook, not with any other software, you know, not having to build anything else. And so I, I, I struggled so much with, you know, all the folders and different things that you have in Outlook today. And so my control your day process, the way I, I use it is basically all of my email sits in two folders, my inbox and my sent items. That's it. And then I use categories and virtual search folders in Outlook to organize all of my information and categorize it the way I want. And then I organize it by due date instead of receive date. So if you think about an inbox today, you get new messages, it just keeps pushing messages down, right? In my control your day view of my inbox, it's showing me what's due today as opposed to just what's been received. So those items stay in the top and they actually go into an overdue view if I don't get to them. And so it really allows me to, to keep control of my email and manage it. Um, and because I've only got two folders, inbox and sent, it's really easy to organize. You don't have all these folders all over the place that you have to manage. Um, so yeah, controlyourday.net, there's the book is out there. Uh, there's also a Udemy course. If you're on Udemy for business, it's out there. So you can get it for free, you know, on your, on your Udemy for business account. Uh, and, you know, I'm accessible, feel free to reach out to me, but, uh, I get emails from all over the world from people thanking me and just, you know, like grateful for this, the methodology that's changed their life. Uh, and that's super exciting to see every time I get a message like that. Hey, I, I, I it's great. I, I, I love it. And, you know, what you said was interesting because I will say of all the CIOs I've dealt with, every CIO is busy, right? Every, you got so many things coming at you. Um, your response rates on emails have been so fantastic. And now it all makes sense to me coming back to controlling your day and, and, and a process that you put in place. Cause you know, I don't have a very good process. I have a huge folder with a bunch of email in there and I get through it when I get through it. Right. It's one of those types of things. And I had a boss that once said, um, you know, if you email me once, I'm probably going to ignore you. you. Email me twice, I'll probably read it. If you email me a third time, then I'll do something with it. That right. was his process, right? And it's like, ah, so I, that can't be a scalable, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Very user-friendly or, or service-friendly way of, of operating your business. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Integration Chronicles, I've got Mr. Jim McCullen here from Century, uh, CIO, uh, who has just been scaling his business, dealing with security, and at the same time, uh, implementing uh, new processes for integration. So Jim, thank you so much for your time today. A lot of great nuggets in here and appreciate you taking the time, especially as you're kicking off 2022 and getting ready to, to have a, another phenomenal year. Yeah, thanks Tushar. And, and appreciate the time and the opportunity to be on and, uh, and we love the Clio platform and, and all the value it brings to our organization. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, have a great day and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Sounds good.